you're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. All right. Welcome back to This Osteopathic Life. I'm here with another episode of Conversations. And today I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Dawn Sears. She's a gastroenterologist in Central Texas and the founder of Gut Girl MD, a physician consulting firm. And we're going to learn all about what possibilities she has for the health of all things. Thanks for joining me here today. Thanks for having me on osteopathic, this osteopathic life. This is uh, so fun because in gastroenterology, there's um, different groups with different feels. And my group happened to be 40% osteopaths. And so seeing it from the very beginning, I am such a huge supporter and a huge fan. So this is a, this is a great place to, for us to start and meet today. I love that. That's so encouraging to hear. And thank you for sharing that sentiment. I'd love to hear about your journey into medicine. Can you take us there and walk us through? Sure. So I um, did not come from a family with much education. So I saw lots of job hunting, hopping going on between my parents. And I knew that I wanted to have a more stable job. So I thought, um, I love these two little dots in my face that bring the whole world to me. I'm going to be an optometrist. I went to my optometrist said, hey, I'm thinking about being an optometrist. Um, These two little dots bring the whole world. I want to make that happen for everyone. So I... Um, he told me, why don't you just become an ophthalmologist? Why don't you do surgery? I said, wait, go to medical school. Don't you have to be rich or super intelligent? He said, no, you just have to work hard. I was like, oh, I can work hard. And so I did. So I worked hard, made it to medical school. And then on my first rotation, I hung out with an ophthalmologist and I saw the cataracts being removed and the cataracts being removed and the cataracts being removed. And I said, oh my gosh, you're seeing 64 patients today and it's right eye or left. So I realized I needed a lot more diversity. So I, um, from there, went into internal medicine. I thought I would do family medicine because they're cool and happy and well-dressed and the internists were very nerdy and grumpy and angry at the world. But then I found out I'm really a nerd. So here I found myself in internal medicine and I found that something magical happened in the ICU in the middle of the night where these people came in with their magic machines. They closed the curtain. They did something and the blood pressure stabilized and the patient no longer needed to go to surgery. And I wanted to know what the Wizard of Oz was doing behind the curtain. And so I knew I needed to go into gastroenterology. I love the fact that we could get a long-term relationship with our patients with liver disease and inflammatory bowel disease, as well as short relationships. Just get in there and take care of the ulcer. Just get in there and remove the polyps. So I love the diversity. So I went from super narrow niche to the sky's the limit. Yeah, I love that. And as you were coming through, and when did you encounter the osteopathic colleagues in your specialty practice? 
Man, um, I happen to be in an institution that has a lot of osteopaths through my residency. Um, so I was encountering them very early on. And I loved it because I had some injuries myself through water skiing. And so my colleagues were already doing manipulations for me in the call room at night. <laughs> so um, it's ironic that some of these same colleagues are the colleagues that I'm working with now 22 years later. And we, we talk about that. And going through pregnancy as a intern and as a resident and as a fellow um, and having the availability of my osteopaths to lay hands on the belly and on the neck and on the back. It was um, it was great to know that they were seeing the holistic view. And of course, I've always had the holistic view as a gastroenterologist. I spend the majority of my time talking about health, nutrition, you know, well-being, movement, things like that. I'm not talking to people about the complex of primary sclerosis and cholangitis and what's happening to their bile ducts. They don't care about that. They want to know how can I get rid of my reflux and still eat Sonic? And so we have to discuss this um, quite a bit. So I have a lot of respect and a lot of collaboration with my osteopathic colleagues. Yeah. And so we talk about the osteopathic philosophy, you know, underscoring the way that we see and treat patients. How do you see that as being available to you and that you are able to integrate it into those conversations with your patients to help them continue to, or (laughs) continue to why they want to eat Sonic? (laughs) Exactly. It's, it's so in line with where we need to be. Um, You talk about the disruption of health and all of our patients want health and letting them know as we're all educators to educate the patient of the power that's already within them to make the good choices to avoid sickness. So there's no doubt about it that the osteopathic principles are the principles that all physicians should be following for all healthcare. It doesn't matter if you're a nephrologist, cardiologist, primary care doc, sports medicine, gastroenterologist, those uh, principles uh, are across the board. And if we all adopt them, then the healthcare climate can change from sick care to healthcare, which is where we know we save money, we're preventative, our patients are happier, they're more empowered, they're not just going to see us as a resource when they feel miserable, but see us as a resource of staying healthy and staying in charge of the life they want to lead and live. Yes. Yay. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) And let's bring forward one of the other tenets and perhaps this lends itself to learning more about gut girl MD. So structure and function, right, are interrelated and we can create, right, the function that we need by putting those pieces in place And what I've learned about your consultancy is you're doing that, right? You're finding ways to put some structure in place so that the system functions better, especially for women in medicine. Can you tell us more about that experience? Absolutely. So going forward, I um, initially, uh, interestingly enough, my leadership journey, uh, I, I give a talk called My Leadership Journey Started with the Hatred of Sodas. So I found that regardless of why I was seeing the patient, whether it was for liver disease, reflux, or they all want to talk about their weight, um, at the end of the day, this is the late 90s, it all had to do with soda. And I was like, oh my gosh, why in the world is it a social norm to basically eat an ice cream cone for breakfast, an ice cream cone for lunch, two ice cream cones on your way home? If you saw a friend doing that, you would say, you have a problem, Susie. Like, I 
I see the connection here why you feel bad. You know, maybe we should stop with the ice cream cones, but it's normal to do that with soda. So I kind of went on a little bit of a rampage and I became the wellness director for my system. And my focus was getting rid of the soda machines. So with this, I knew I had to get the highest level leadership engagement. So I went to our highest level leaders, our CEOs, our CMOs, our chiefs of the divisions. And I said, hi, I'm Dr. Don Sears. You guys know me. I'm the gastroenterologist. I take care of your wife, but you're fat. You're not in shape and I need your help. I'm going to enroll you in a wellness program and I'm going to call it the MBA to get you, you your man brain engaged and mind body and activity. Every morning at 5 a.m., you don't have a board meeting. You don't have a surgery. You don't have a patient schedule. So you're mine. We're all going to train for a half marathon. And these leaders practically crawled across the table saying, I don't run. I'm never going to run. Da, 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 da. No way. So I had these 10 leaders and I called them the 10 most wanted. And if anybody didn't show up for the 5 a.m. workout, they had to put 20 bucks in the kitty. You'd be amazed what a CEO will do not to put 20 bucks into the kitty. (laughs) They do not want to lose to anybody. So as a result, I told them my ask for you is when you build that new children's hospital, don't put a fire in it. When you do the grand rounds, I want them to be healthy food, blah, 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 blah. So this was all, again, late 90s, early 2000s. They saw that what I brought to the table had nothing to do with me. I cared about them. I wanted them healthy. I wanted them to continue to be our leaders. So they all lost their diabetes. They lost their high blood pressure. They better, I made them do dates with their wives and visit their kids and all this stuff. So we did this six month program. We all completed the half marathon together. And one of the guys 10 years later is still running marathons. And he was the one who said, I will never run a marathon. All this to say, learning these gaining these people, these male leaders trust, they started putting me on leadership committees. And I started climbing the leadership ladder. That was never a goal in my mind. I didn't graduate medical school and say, I want to be a division director. I want to be the president of the clinic staff organization. But that's where I found myself. So I found myself in the board of directors every week. And so as a result of that, all these women started coming out of the woodworks saying, will you mentor me? Will you show me? Will you show me the ropes? Because In medical school, I followed this track. In residency, I followed this track. In fellowship, I followed this track. What's the track for women leadership? And I'm like, whoa, honey, there's no track. We're all making it up as we go. And so it became obvious we needed a whole army of mentors, especially with the 50% of female medical students coming out behind us. They pop out of medical school and say, okay, who's my mentor? And you're like, wait, what? I didn't have a mentor. What are you talking about? But they really have the expectation. Somebody should be showing them how to do this. So I looked around at my colleagues and said, why aren't all y'all mentoring? They're like, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, wait, what? So we had to put together a program to show my colleagues, my generation, you already have all the information, the knowledge, et cetera. So we put this together um, the fall of 2017. Well, it happened to be the same month as uh, Me Too came out. So the grassroots effort behind uh, a group of 100 women coming together, I sent out the interest to 400 ladies in our um, in our region said, are you interested in getting together? And my secretary called me uh, two weeks later and said, where do we cap it? I said, what do you mean? What do you got? 20, 30 people signed up? She said, no, it's 85. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, let's cap it at 100. So after the event, everybody said, great job, Dawn. When are you doing it again? I'm like, wait, how about thank you? But no, it was when you when are you going to do it again? So from then on, we wrote the grant. We got $150,000 to move the needle of uh, well-being, burnout, and retention. 
And um, the next two years, man, this just, just took over my life. And so we were one step ahead of where the rest of the country was, talking about women leaders. And now we've got three women on our board of directors. We start out with zero. You know, we've got lots more chairs, lots more chiefs, lots more um, women at the table. Mm-hmm. So it's been very exciting. Yeah. And so, so you're creating that structure, right? So you're giving this pathway and these programs. And what do you see as the function? So what's it like now? You know, what are the outcomes, impacts of having women in these positions? Yeah. So now we're having conversations we've never had before. What's been so fun is the trickle out effect um, that people tell me in other divisions, whether they work in accounting or they work in media or they work in public relations. They're saying, Dawn, as a result of your program, I am now able to have discussions with my bosses or senior leadership talking about part-time jobs, talking about maternity issues, talking about breastfeeding, you know, the words that were totally taboo three or four years ago, these are now just normal conversations of life of it shouldn't be a shocker that anyone has maternity leave as 85% of women physicians are mothers. Well, that doesn't just happen. There is no stork that shows up and drops the child off. We have to normalize maternity leave and have these discussions and just plan for it and not act like it's a broken hip and an unexpected event. This is something that is often planned for, sometimes worked for, and uh, definitely usually follows a predictable pattern of when it's going to occur. So we shouldn't act like it's a trauma when all of a sudden, ah, she left for maternity leave. No kidding. Nobody saw that coming. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. It's so exciting to hear. And so what are the next steps? You know, how often, when is again, right? They keep asking you when we do this program again, what is that looking like? So we um, had a lot of fun structuring our program to make it customized. We serve a huge geographic area in Central Texas, or all of Texas, actually. And so we had little pods that got together monthly, and they fit whatever worked with their culture. Some were doing book clubs, others in more um, trendy areas were doing like yoga nights or escape rooms or things like that. Um, Meanwhile, we were doing uh, events every six months, getting together and alternating between leadership focus and life work balance focus. We would bring in outside speakers. We would have panels. We would have local leaders, um, but a lot of engagement. And what we found through these programs was the most impactful thing was getting women together just to share their stories, Mm -hmm. just to talk, just to feel a sense of community community. And at the end of every single one of these meetings, there'd be at least three or four women in the back of the room weeping, absolutely sobbing, saying, I was ready to quit. But now I feel I have a tribe. I feel I've been seen. I figured out I'm not the only one suffering. I'm not the only one doing this wrong. We are all just doing our best to survive. And now I feel like I don't have to be perfect anymore. I just need to just keep going and putting one foot in front of the other. There is no such thing as balance. There's just doing good enough and good enough is good enough. And what got you here isn't what's going to get you to the next step and giving each other permission for movement over perfection is huge. Yeah. And I hear in there that nurturing of body, mind, and spirit in those spaces. So we often think, oh, women leadership is going to be this very structured program. It's going to be regimented, but it allows you to nurture all parts of the person. How did you realize or what allowed you to hold space for all of those? Yes, um, it's a journey and evolution. And I think we all identify very quickly when things are out of balance, when things are not going well. And then we have to just 
either pause or the world pauses us or life pauses us or an illness pauses us. Um, for me, ending up flat on my back after being hit by a drunk driver with a traumatic brain injury and going, okay, I can be taken out like that. My time is limited. What am I doing to build myself up? What am I doing to give myself space for my brain, for healing, for thinking? Um, and that focused me to learn meditation because I couldn't sleep. If you've uh, been through a traumatic brain injury, you know the weird stuff that it does with your circadian rhythms. So being open to learning all new ways of using this beautiful mind, brain, body, soul that we have, um, because all these life events occur not randomly. They're, they're all for a reason to build us up and give us new tools that we're going to expand to others. So um, through this journey, I've also had a child with special needs and her successes are going to be very different than other people's successes. So when I'd have people coming to me wanting to sell an education program to me for my childhood to be successful, I'm like, oh, you tapped on the wrong door. Have a seat. Let's talk about success, you know, and then um, just learning how to normalize Life isn't always the way we think it's going to be, and it can be even more beautiful when you release it and look around to see what you're supposed to learn through these various journeys. So being authentic, helping my colleagues to be authentic, it really empowers them. And then just modeling that there's not one path to leadership, there's not one path to wellness, but it's continual evolution and learning. And we're going to make mistakes, and we evolve and learn, we evolve and learn, we evolve and learn. Um, and normalizing that that we're all on our separate journey and no two are going to look the same. And that's been the beauty of it, I think. Yeah. And I found that can be a challenging thing for physicians, because like you said, you know, we are following these tracks and there are expectations and we're going to look a certain way and know certain things. But to then be invited to be just you. Right. And there's no answer key. There's no rubric. You get to decide. How do you find bridging that? For physicians, because I find it is, it's this, you know, chasm and it can be scary to make that leap. How do you help support physicians? And what I notice as calling forth that inherent capacity they have within, right? That other osteopathic tenant there, I'm not Absolutely. making you a leader, right? You're emerging, you're bringing forth what's always been there into leadership. Absolutely. And much of what um, you're alluding to is something that's passionate for both of us and something that has uh, affected both of us. And that's coaching. Uh, that is letting these women and men know that it's already there within them. And there is a capability of seeing the world through a different lens. And that is the authentic lens, not the false expectation that doesn't even exist. Nobody's actually telling them these little voices that they're hearing in their mind. That little person that's so super critical doesn't even exist. But yet we give this imaginary person a huge influence over our mind and our behavior. And so coaching allows people to go, wait, is this person even real? Is that voice even real? And what about that is real and is not real? And what is my authentic self and my authentic calling? So um, allowing people that reality of, yes, I've been guilty of that too. And I've listened to this crazy voice. It's literally almost a dementia type phenomena it doesn't even exist and we've been delusional in in believing it and following it but um uh as you noted in an earlier conversation that we had medical students 
still believe and know their authentic self. They still remember their authentic self. But what we have been through, the PTSD of the training, the inhuman training that we encountered through residency fellowship um, and being a staff and just fill out the paperwork, just feel that see one more patient, just make more RVUs. We have not felt the autonomy to fight for our authentic self. And when you go through coaching, you remind yourself that you are an individual human who can do these things again. And so I think a big part of a leadership training program, especially for women leaders, because we're such people pleasers. And if there's somebody telling us what to do, well, then, gosh, we're going to do it, mm-hmm. uh, is reminding us that the person we need to please is ourself. And if we do that, we're going to be better moms, better doctors, better partners, better friends, better daughters, better everything. But we've covered it up for so long um, and just giving that space to acknowledge it. And coaching is a great way to do it because it forces you to. And the first time you're coached, you get very squirmy and you feel very uncomfortable because the coach is just staring at you, waiting for an answer and say, well, is that really true? And you go, oh. Maybe it's not. Oh my gosh. I've never even encountered that possibility. And you see the breakthroughs Mm -hmm. and um, it's powerful. It's so powerful. So every physician needs a coach. Every woman physician definitely needs a coach to make up for this other false voice that's been speaking to her for all these years. Yes. I love that. And just knowing too, that it's, you know, the direct training we've had, but also just the cultural underskirting that just exists, you know, generations before us as well in knowing, because we'll often do things more likely for someone else, right? If we're paving that path for those future generations of women in medicine, we may be more apt to take up that task and say, okay, if I do the work, I'm helping somebody else. I'm willing to put an effort into this space. Absolutely. Just like negotiations say, we won't negotiate the salary for ourselves, but will you negotiate that salary because you know, it'll affect your children. Then you go, Oh, well then yes, I'm asking for that extra 10 grand. Absolutely. But if it's just for me, that's selfish. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, please tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Uh, Gutgirlmdconsulting.com or just my name, uh, Sears.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm GutGirlMD. That's where I started. And so that's where the name actually stuck um, that I started on Twitter uh, five years ago. And then uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. But I'd love to work with anybody, show them how to do this program. Um, my charge at the end of the grant that I got was to spread this throughout the world. So however I can do that and help your world, your micro environments be better and uh, allow more women physicians to know their already internal um, possibilities, I will help you do that. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, I love one more question, if you don't mind. So as we've heard, lots of different ways. And I love that micro environment, like bringing the microbiome into all the spaces. Perfect. Right, right. Let us know how you see yourself for the health of all things. For the health of all things, I am in continued evolution because everything that is growing is healthy. If it's not growing, it's dying. So in all areas of my life, Mm -hmm. teaching, education, empowerment, my family, myself, um, my learning, my brain, my spirit, um, that's, that's health in all things. I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here for the work that you're doing and can't wait to see how it continues to grow. Thank you. I look forward to continuing to collaborate with you and your groups as well. 
fantastic. I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.